So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta, and welcome back to the Active Atlanta podcast. I'm your host, Doc Jake Swore, and today we have a very dear friend of mine. Her name is Pauline Newman. She is a clinical nutritionist, y'all, who has 10 years of experience behind her name. She is a simple badass at what she does. She, uh, I'll, let you, I'll let her kind of get into the array of degrees that she comes with. She has a very eclectic background, which I really appreciate. She try, kind of draws in from all different kinds of experiences. Uh, so without further ado, Pauline, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jake. Yeah, of course. So kind of, a, kind of clinical nutritionist, I always get – in the world of nutrition, and I'm sure it's the same for me with, uh, or when people think about like physical therapy that, you know, like what's the difference between like PT, OT, a physical therapist and a personal trainer, all these different things, but or a chiropractor. So what's the, what as a clinical nutritionist, um, first of all, what is that? And then how did you kind of get into that field? Great question. <laughs> people ask me very regularly um, the same thing. So um, there are kind of a few distinctions when it comes to being a nutritionist. There is actually an RD, which is a registered dietitian, and I am not a registered dietitian. And they have to, um, you know, they fulfill a bunch of criteria, which I won't get into, obviously, because I'm not an RD. Right. Um, a clinical nutritionist is um, what I have. I have a master's of science in clinical and functional nutrition. We basically focus both on the kind of Western medicine, physiology, biology portion, and then we also learn um, the integrative holistic functional portion, which really means treating the body as um, a whole, you know, examining all the systems that take a role, have a role in your health and disease states, mm -hmm. as opposed to just looking um, kind of at local systems in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, and then we also really have a huge um, emphasis on herbs and out and just really food as medicine, to be honest with you. That's plays yeah. a huge role. For sure. Um, yeah. Oh, and how I got into it. It's so, I mean, Jake, you know me so well. <laughs> and by the way, thank you for the intro. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, as you know, I am totally fascinated by the body and mm. when it comes to movement and nutrition, um, some people might call it compulsive, but I won't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've always been an athlete my whole life, even when, um, like as a teenager, when folks were looking at, you know, People Magazine, I was looking at Oxygen and um, the Nutrition Magazines and the Running Magazines and ones about the body, just because it's totally fascinating. Um, in about, at, I guess it was 2008, 2009, I got my health coaching certification and that just was kind of the... Um, open the door 
of my yeah. interests. And then I um, practiced as a nutritionist in New York City um, with um, lots of different practitioners, whether it be physicians, naturopaths, uh, acupuncturists. Um, and then I just eventually said I wanted, you know, I needed and wanted more schooling. So I went to get my master's. And here we are. That's wild. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting how many um, people kind of get into the healthcare field, especially in the world of nutrition, I've come to find with like, just their own personal curiosity, leading them down the natural route of wanting to use that knowledge that they acquire to kind of help other people. And, they, and you know, um, people start to, um, a lot of the nutritionists, and, and especially when we start getting into the world of integrative medicine, uh, what I think is so cool about the people who have kind of, kind of gone down that route is they've noticed like holes in the medical field where they're like, wait a minute, why is this not talked about more? Or this is huge. How, how come we're, we're missing this and traditional medicine or not traditional medicine, but our, our Western medicine culture. Um, was, was there ever anything that like a light bulb moment for you when you're kind of going down or when you got your master's or when you became a health coach or through helping your clients, like where you're like, Holy cow, this is huge. And this needs to be talked about more. Absolutely. Um, so I, there's definitely a place for Western medicine. I don't want to be down on Western medicine. Of course. Yeah. Um, I do have, you know, dear doctor friends who, would will openly tell you that they really don't learn much at all about nutrition. And if they do, it's something that we can all Google and look um, and learn ourselves. It's never really that sophisticated. I mean, because they're um, experts of their own field and it's not nutrition, right? The same way right. I'm not an expert of the body in that way, but um, there are absolutely holes and um, it's challenging because um, nutrition is, constantly controversial it's kind of i would maybe pt is similar i know that exercise is similar there's always some kind of fad because of the um <laughs> inevitable link you know between sure. the inside and the outside the aesthetic and the um inside and we mm -hmm. you know we associate the health with looking a certain way mm -hmm. which has some truth to it but it isn't necessarily the way um our culture says it is right um and so that's problematic. And then, of course, there are um, ways, traditional ways to kind of assess health and disease. And an obvious example are labs, like blood labs. And um, one thing in functional medicine is um, that I hear a lot, actually, is not to treat the labs. So it sounds totally counterintuitive, but um, with my personal experience as well, that, well as with clients, um, a lot of them will get labs and they, their doctors are simply and solely treating the labs right. and thus ignoring their symptoms as a, as a human. And sometimes it's just actually not even sometimes more often than not, it is much deeper than, you know, what the lab is saying because yeah, of course, you know, it's all connected. Because humans are complicated, you know. Like, we are. <laughs> I think uh, there, there's so many things that go into, into being a human being than, than what a lab test can show. Now, of course, lab tests are crucial and needed and very important, but they just tell like little snapshots, you know. Um, and and I, I think any 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 medical provider would would tell you that as well. The, the the thing that's really interesting and the thing that I think is really frustrating is how in our world, the Western culture or in the USA, whatever you want to say, the, um, the provider. And I have, I have a lot of friends who, you know, MDs, uh, who are PTs, DOs, DCs, all the, all the acronyms beyond their names. And the common theme is that, 
with the way insurance is right now, people really have a, a um, they feel obligated to, or not obligated, but they have to see so many people in a, such a short period of time to make a practice, keep the lights on essentially, you know? Mm -hmm. So even though a provider may want to have that much or may want to have some time to, uh, to spend on the patient or they know this person has a little bit more of a complicated issue kind of going on, one, they're not going to get reimbursed or the time to have that chat, to have that conversation, to get down to the nitty gritty details of why they're in there. Uh, they only get paid for that test that they run or, 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 or the, or, you know, whatever the, cost is that they are charging the patient versus actually being able to sit down and their time typically isn't included in that. So how much time do you get to spend with each client? And, and do you think that that time is really important? Such a good question. I mean, I think I say that after every question so far, <laughs> yeah. I absolutely think it's so important. So I, my practice is um, different from conventional practice. One, because um, I would say 99% of the time, it's, well, actually 100% of the time, the client is choosing to come to me. Very, yeah. you know, even if you have a referral or a recommendation from your doctor and who are, you know, and all the labs and any kind of Western diagnosis might point you towards needing a nutritionist for whatever reason, you yeah. still don't have to come. You know, it's never mandatory to see the nutritionist the way it might be to go to school or to have certain jobs or whatever. So that's yeah, not we're all adults. We can do what we want. Exactly. <laughs> Don't we love that? So <laughs> I can therefore make my practice the way I want. And I do. And yeah. um, focusing on the client is, um, is critical. Um, I, it's actually similar. I know athletes potential, you guys focus more on just movement. You have like your four pillars with uh, is it right. nutrition, sleep, stress, and movement. Is, did I get that right? Heck yeah. I love Hell that. Yeah. <laughs> And it's similar. I mean, my philosophy is very similar. Um, it's really, I talk not only about the food that's on your plate, but I talk about the food that is off our plate, what nourishes us or doesn't, or, or you know, makes us sick off the plate. So stress, wow. sleep, obviously exercise as well, relationships, um, just quality of life issues that all of which, um, you know, actually there are clinical studies that show um, chemical and physiological links between these factors and our health. So um, when I have clients coming in for nutrition sessions, um, it's, we don't just talk about food. And um, most of my clients will actually come in thinking they need nutrition when they really need, that's just um, getting their foot in the door kind yeah. of. Um, and then I spend time, like the, my first, I have a mandatory <laughs> consultation just because I call it like the discovery um, consult essentially. Yeah. And that's when we spend, you know, 75 minutes just digging, like yeah. digging after they send me, you know, 14 pages of intakes, labs, everything. And then we just dig and I, and we go into the history, um, you know, cause a lot of times we think, Oh, well, what are you eating now? And it's like, well, you're 40 years old. You have these issues. It's not really what you're eating right this second or what you're doing this right this second. Maybe it's what you were doing for the past 20 years. Heck yeah. So, you know, it's kind of um, the time I give clients to, is so valuable um, for everybody. And then in, in the long run, it actually um, makes it, it's more efficient because then we could really hone in on what the true underlying issues are instead of just treating symptoms. Oh my gosh, for sure. You know, I talk about that all the time where 
you know, if I'm dealing with somebody who has 20 years of back pain, it's not their back pain that's bringing them into the clinic. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. there's now something going on in their life that they can that they can no longer enjoy. So I love the concept of let's talk about the food that's off your plate. It's kind of falling right and long. That's the first time I've ever heard that. And I, I love that a lot because it's so true. Like you, you can start talking about, and a lot of times I'm sure people are, um, they think it's like the food that they're eating or not eating. And we know like, Yes, of course, at the end of the day, calories in, calories out, there has to be an equation there that works, but there's, that's such a myopic way of looking at weight management. And there's so many other factors that go into um, somebody being able to live a healthy and active lifestyle, you know? Uh, so, what, so with your, so with integrate, you use the term like integrative uh, nutrition, that's something that's very interesting to me. What is that where you look a lot more at hormones or someone's metabolism or, or do you take a look at that at all? And if you do, what do you look at? I'm sure that's, that's a loaded question. question. Yeah. Yeah. So integrative nutrition is, um, I guess it's kind of, it's not holistic because that has a whole other meaning, but it really is um, just taking a holistic approach to wellness. So it's essentially um, um, like, Again, like instead of just looking at the food that's on your plate, it's looking at everything involved in your life that um, might promote health or disease. So it's yeah. all the lifestyle changes um, and anything that anything that contributes. Um, so that's really the holistic, um, integrative approach, and that's why sometimes, like I, I don't think I've ever actually just given food. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, just given like advice about or um, you know recommendations about food. Yeah. Um, for my clients, it's always more. Um, well, it almost sounds and, like you'd be doing yourself or you'd be doing them to service if that's all you talked about. Exactly. Absolutely. And then it's also like that's there's when it comes to food, one, it's delicious. I mean, there are <laughs> yeah. very few people. There are those people who actually forget to eat and don't enjoy food and which is totally fine. That personally is not me and yeah. it's not most of my clients. But um you know, food's delicious. It should be enjoyable. So I really focus too on not demonizing food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some foods that are the devil. I will like straight out say, you know, that just <laughs> because they're not food, you know? Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> so, what, 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 what are some devil foods? What do we got? I mean, I'm going to, I mean, McDonald's, you know, mm, like any yeah, things okay. that basically don't rot if you keep them out of the refrigerator <laughs> for a couple of years, that's a yeah. sign, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, but, that being said, so a cheeseburger and French fries from, you know, McDonald's or a fast food place is, you know, is something I would tell, you know, I would not recommend for anybody. However, a cheeseburger, like a good high quality grass fed burger and mm-hmm. fries made with actual potatoes and no preservatives and oil, that's yeah. fine. You know, so it's not really even about, it's really just about the quality and the ingredients because all those foods exist naturally in nature so um that's one of the biggest kind of things too it's like you can eat the same what you think you think of as foods it's just their quality is different kind of thing yeah um and then you had another question there but i rambled a little bit (laughs) yeah no you're fine it it kind of you kind of all links up so with so when you so when you when we start talking about like you know the difference between like a grass-fed burger and like a burger from mcdonald's right um clearly like there's there's hormones being injected in that burger there's things going on that allow just to sit out in open air and have very little mold on it after an extended period of time right yes. um how does that 
affect a human's hormones and how does that affect like what what role i guess would hormones play in metabolism or um because i think that whole world is very interesting to me like through um, a couple different people now this may (laughs) at risk of making me sound like an idiot i guess but like i had no idea i guess that like too much estrogen was an issue um i mean it makes sense uh, and once you say it out loud but like that's just never a thought that occurred to me that i'm sure a lot of women deal with or, or may not even know that they're dealing with such an issue so what are some like things that you do, how, how would someone know if they have too much or too little of a certain hormone? I guess that's a really loaded question. Probably one you can't answer in, in a direct way, but what, uh, what do you look at particularly with, from a symptom standpoint to let you know like, Hey, maybe your hormones are kind of playing a part in this. No, that's again, such a great question. And one of my favorite topics uh, more recently, to be honest with you, maybe because not to give myself away, but because of my age and um, actually recent health issues with mold, which you're totally fully aware of, which is blown my mind. But um, it's crazy. And the role of hormones are um, insane. So they've always played a massive role. Just we just don't as we age, um, we go through different, you know, our body's cyclical. And um, one thing that's not only relevant to women, but also to men is our thyroids. Mm -hmm. And the thyroid is, you know, it's got, um, it's like bell bottoms. It goes in in and out of like being the topic of of conversation, but Mm -hmm. it is the master gland in my opinion. Um, Obviously it's part of the HBA. So there are other, um, you know, glands and systems involved when it comes to you know, the production of thyroid hormones, but mm-hmm. um, it is the master of our metabolism, whether it comes to your body temperature, your actual, like, BA, you know, your basal metabolic rate um, mm-hmm. and everything, and, and, and therefore your weight. Um, and then your energy levels, your libido, like, everything is related to your thyroid um, for the most part. I mean, that's a gross generalization. But, yeah. so that's, you know, pertinent to both men and women. Um, and then with regard to that, there's... Um, you know, your thyroid hormones are hormones. And then you also have cortisol, which is a hormone that everybody has as well. And it's totally um, dysregulated in many, many people, partially because um, we are so taxed. Like, you know, yeah. we are just burnt out. <laughs> sure. And when you have high cortisol, it can then essentially rob, though that's not the true word but like steal from other resources and one huge example is vitamin d which is also a hormone really um so that's just just a very simple example of how um it could be just a snowball with a domino effect once you have one system kind of going away you can have um it just a domino effect of um you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and, and mm-hmm. compensating. It's just like injuries. It's like, it's yeah. like when you worked on my Achilles, you know, pick whichever injury you want, but the latest one is the Achilles. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, we have to treat the calf because it's all connected, you know? Um, yeah. So it all goes up chain. All goes up chain. And it's similar in nutrition. I mean, it's all the body, but yeah. when it comes to hormones and women, like it's estrogen dominance is a really, um, less well known than it is prevalent. I think mm-hmm. that's fair to say. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, a lot of the signs are what are unfortunately associated with aging. So a lot of, you know, um, people will be like, well, you know, you're getting older. So it's normal for you to gain weight in your belly and mm-hmm. be lethargic and have a lower libido. 
and all these things, none of us are 25, like, let's be real. However, (laughs) (laughs) we don't need to feel like we're 80, you know? So um, a lot of those things people kind of just write off when in fact, um, it's not normal. It's not um, normal to be kind of, um, you know, feeling that way all the time. And that's, you know, that's some of the things I look for really just energy, um, you know, energy and just like kind of low affect is another mm-hmm. good one. Um, mm-hmm. Unexplained weight gain, um, libido, athletic performance, all those are, um, are interconnected. Yeah. Oh my gosh, for sure. And, and you know, it's really interesting. I think like hormones played this very important role that people don't really fully understand or realize to an extent like there's been a lot of times i've had conversations like one of the hormones we like to play around with i guess because they play around with one of the hormones we deal with quite a bit is hgh or human growth hormone because of the blood flow restriction training that we do and that sucker it is it's wild when you start looking at people who have high levels of hgh or igf1 it's like growth factor one uh you know these are these are the people walking around like greek gods and goddesses but like maybe work out every now and then (laughs) right and, uh, you, you know, like take LeBron James, for example, I'm sure his hormone panel is like through the roof and, um, like no amount of working out or, or training will ever make me look like somebody who's got like an Arnold, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example. Right. Like th- there's just hormone levels there that <laughs> I just don't have. And that's okay. You know, genetics play a huge part of that, but uh, how, how do you do you dive into genetics at all with people or do you how do you have how do you have the conversations sometimes where it's um how do i want to put this where you you know what the answer is from like a it's it's going to be like a long game plan that they need to work with but people are looking for like a quick fix like right now so i get that all the time in the clinic rather looking at like injuries or people from a performance standpoint and i'm sure you get those types of like implications when you're working with somebody on the nutrition side Absolutely. That's one of the biggest hurdles um, or like one of the, the bigger hurdles, I would say, because mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm sure the same is true for you. Like we feel like we're putting in so much work and we are, but it always feels like you're putting in more work than than you expect, I guess, you know, and yeah. I've had that too with like injuries too. Where I'm like, am I not better yet? Like, how is this happening? And I'm like, oh, because I wasn't listening. But anyways, <laughs> but same thing with nutrition, you know, yeah. Where certain, you know, you feel like, oh my gosh, two weeks without um, like changing habits, it feels like a lifetime when in fact, it's just like we talked about with the back pain for 20 years or the eating habits for 20 years. It's like, yeah. in the context of where we are now, two weeks is nothing. It's, it's, a, you know, literally a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Compared to what you've been doing. So people I find, I mean, this is actually where like there's a huge psychological component with my practice. I'm not a psychologist, but yeah. there is a huge psycho- you know, psychological component with oh, eating sure. and, and just healing. And that, um, that's where you have to keep the person motivated and engaged and empowered. That's yeah. um, a huge part of my practice is just reminding people that um, one, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, and two, that they like we don't have control of many things in our lives, but what we put in our mouth, we actually, especially as adults, we do mm-hmm. have control over. And so using that as a positive and, yeah. and then really seeing how you feel. So um, I find if, if clients can commit to, you know, one or two things, ch- changes for two weeks, you 
the work does itself because then you, you know, you actually will start to feel minor changes. I'm not saying you'll see, you know, the needle move on the scale or anything like that necessarily. Um, yeah. Maybe it goes up. Sometimes it even goes up, but you feel more energy and you have less cravings. And so you start to have true physiological effects from, from your hard work and that keeps people going. Um, sure. But you always hit like peaks and valleys all day, you know? Um, and yeah. it's just, that's normal. Cause the body too, like is smart and the body mm -hmm. doesn't ever want to feel um, threatened. And it's also wants to do the least work possible. Sure. So it's not like, heck yeah. Like my master wants me to, you know, burn twice as many calories as it's eating. Like, let's yeah. go. It's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Oh my so, gosh, it's crazy. And then like, uh, you know, I think it's really interesting too. Like, what is it? Ghrelin? And what's the, what's the hormone that makes you full? Is it leptin? Leptin. Leptin. Yeah. Ghrelin, yeah. So I think it's really interesting. Like, uh, I was talking to somebody um, on the podcast earlier and again, just talking about hormones and how like our body is so intelligent. You, you said this and it kind of cued me on this. Like, you know, to a degree, if your hormones are working appropriately, like, man, uh, leptin will let you know when you're full. Like if you, you know, if you wake up one morning, I think that's, what's really frustrating with people sometimes too, is they think, uh, and, and you know, if you're an elite athlete, who's got a very strict timetable or like, you know, or you have a whole medical team working with you, or you've got some special case. Sure. Those are anomalies, but overall, like, I think it's very frustrating for some, for some people to feel like they have to be like their schedule and their life is dictated by when they should be eating and when they shouldn't be eating. And I think it'd be really enlightening for people to know, like, look, like if you wake up one morning and you're not hungry, it's probably because your body's telling you it's full from what you ate before, you know? Um, and it mm -hmm. hasn't had a chance to use its BMR to, or basal metabolic rate to kind of like burn through these, these calories that you've consumed and everything else. Or, um, you know, you, you, or if you are extra hungry, then maybe it's cause you didn't, you, you exerted yourself a little or more than what you have in the past. So that hormone ghrelin is being a little active, a little overactive and letting you know, like you should probably eat. So, um, being a little bit more in tune with your body and that definitely comes with skill. You talk about the habit acquisition, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, by feeding yourself a pro like appropriate nutrition and, and, and good eating habits, you'll start to pick up on these and on these nuances and these differences. And it can be really, um, I guess powerful is the right word to use to really kind of start being in tune with your body in that regards, instead of just being confused and wondering what in the world's kind of going on, you know? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I remember the first, the first time that the whole idea of like habits formation or like other things impacting when you eat and how like you can have like a psychological uh, dependency really on food is uh, I was taking an abnormal psych class in undergrad and this and my professor she that was what her research was on was in was um, you know eating habits in particular with like uh, you know um, uh, like bad eating habits essentially but they uh, she was talking about how you shouldn't eat when you watch TV which a lot of people love to do right <laughs> because mm -hmm. yeah. that starts to trigger in your brain like oh I'm sitting down I'm watching TV I should probably have a snack or I should probably eat something like that's you're not really hungry but you've trained your body that now it's time to eat or now it's time to munch, you know? Um, and I thought that was just such an interesting concept and it's something that I've taken along with me. What are some like tough habits that you see in the clinic that you, or like, are, are there any common ones you see like, Oh man, like this is, this is a no, I see this all the time. And this is no bueno for you trying to live or for you trying to like change like an eating habit or anything like that. Well, it's so, and so I quickly want to give you um, my favorite thing that I actually learned from my, um, twin sister who's a psychologist Ooh, with nice. regard to habit and it's neurons that fire together wired together and that's oh, literally nice. that 
like it makes perfect sense and that's true it's like that's how we're building habits so it's not even like a matter of like willpower it's like your brain is doing its work it's the same you know it's, it's literally wiring like you know you're, you're being, your neurons are firing together so you're watching tv and mm-hmm. those neurons watching tv are also firing while you're putting your hands in the doritos the bag mm-hmm. of doritos, mm-hmm. <laughs> so Love they're, doritos. They're, cool ranch on my jam school ranch i'm with you and not a lot of people are with us let me tell you jay i I completely agree (laughs) (laughs) but so um so yeah so that's real and that's another kind of um i like to tell my clients these things so they understand because people feel shame around eating habits if it's against what society's saying we should you know, be doing or if it deters oh someone gosh, from the, reaching their beat goals, themselves beat themselves up. There's so much shame. And so I like to remind people that it's not, um, that it's actually a biological response. We can get around it, which is beautiful. Yeah. It's right. just that you have, it's important to understand that. So don't beat yourself up. And then yeah. some of the biggest things, I mean, um, a lot, one kind of overarching rule is to um, like when you're eating to make that like the activity. It doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, bring out the four sets of cutlery and like, you know, um, you know, like have an elaborate, elaborate <laughs> meal, <laughs> yeah. but just, you know, designate your meal time to eating. So don't try to multitask, um, you know, mm-hmm. don't try to eat while you're watching TV um, or work while you're eating because then everything is kind of um, half done. You know, like, yeah. so you want to commit 100% when you're eating and your mind will then register. And that will also help you to feel satiated because you're um, having that mind-body connection. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, snacks are challenging. We really don't need snacks as much as we think we do. I would even say that um, with the exception of certain medical conditions, um, mm-hmm. um, elite athletes are probably the only people who really need to feel themselves, like, fuel themselves on a very um, frequent basis. And even still, you can get around that, to be honest with you, as long as you're fueling yourself appropriately when you are. You know, you can still go, you know, four hours between each meal. But um, it's really – so that's one of the habits that I would definitely kind of recommend to people get out of eating in front of the the TV and and working. You know, I used to always work while I was eating just because I was like, this is efficient. And then it was never – you just end up grazing and it, there's never yeah. an end, you know? Yeah. Um, and your work takes twice as long. <laughs> True. Um, your keyboard gets all messy. It's just not a good, it's not like a good crumbs. thing. Where's the Roomba? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. But um, so that's, you know, one of the most major, I would say, just kind of um, habits to get into. And then also just, um, you know, you mentioned like listening to your body. Um, mm-hmm. I completely agree. So leptin and ghrelin, they're actually hormones um, really actually released in your, in your intestines, to be honest with you, um, mm. different parts of your intestine. But um, a lot of times when like, somebody's been dieting or restricting, they're not um, functioning, like they're not firing properly. So yeah. I know that you've heard of intuitive eating. It's kind of like this, um, you know, like a phrase that is ideal and it'd yeah. be amazing if we could all eat intuitively and... But, <laughs> But you have to train yourself. So with my clients, that is a goal, for example, but it's not a realistic expectation out the gate because what is intuitive now is not 
it's it's not functioning properly like our body's not functioning right. the way it should be so really right. getting those hormones balanced and that comes um you know and listening you know you don't have to eat breakfast if you're not hungry you know right. um and if you are hungry you know you should add more food nourishing food to your meals you should yeah. never be starving so it goes both ways really and then yeah. and then you do fine that's when you're like oh i could actually listen to my body um because mm -hmm. your body's really just your brain <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Oh my gosh. And we could go down. Have you ever read, read the book called, uh, uh, brain maker, uh, by no. David Perlmutter. Oh my gosh. It's great. Or David Perlmutter. I think that's how it is. Yeah. I will, it will link it in the show notes, but man, this is, uh, it, it was super enlightening to me. You know, it's, it's all about how your stomach and your gut microbiome is essentially like almost more powerful. It makes the argument that it could be more powerful than your actual brain in terms of controlling like body functions and, and some of the thought processes that you kind of go with. And I think you said like upwards of like 90% of your serotonin is actually made in your gut. So, uh, you know, there you go. There's just one of the, another very important hormone, serotonin. Uh, you've got leptin and ghrelin and i'm sure many 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 others that are made in your gut microbiome uh, oh yeah oh yeah that control how you how you feel act and think yeah uh, um but Pauline, crazy. i also know you are in the process of of accepting more clients um uh, revamping your 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 branding and everything else what are what's a good way for somebody to be able to get a hold of you if they want if they wanted to reach out to you and potentially be a client and uh or just find out more about who you are absolutely um so uh, there are a few ways. All mm -hmm. of them are not my, so I'm rebranding and I don't want to disclose the website without <laughs> having this official launch, but yeah. um, my email is just my first name, Pauline, P-A-U-L-I-N-E dot Newman, N-E-W-M-A-N at Gmail. And then my Instagram handle is the exact same. And um, yeah, I always love people who are, um, I mean, I'm accepting new clients, but also I'm like I'm an educator. So yeah. Hit me up if you have any questions. I like collaborating and just, um, you know, anybody who's um, interested, you know, in <laughs> learning more about nutrition, I'm always game to talk, as you can tell. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You, you're, you're, you love to educate, and you're very passionate about what you educate on. So, Pauline, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to hop on this podcast with us. Thank you so much for your knowledge, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Perfect, Jake. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Of course. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.